When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. I think the best coaches that I've had understand that not every player, not every person learns the same way. And so they have a high level of emotional intelligence to be able to see their, their athlete and to be able to understand, hey, this player, he learns best when I draw up on the board. Hey, this player learns best when I tell him what to do. Hey, oh, this player learns best when I show him film of exactly what I want to see from him. Understanding how to get the most out of your players comes down to learning what they learn in the manner of the best. Like how do they learn something the quickest? I think that is so important. And I think the other part is understanding techniques can be different for different players, but understanding how to take the technique that you want to see and fitting it to that player's skill sets. I think those are all things that make a great coach. What you just heard was a segment from The Pool Clinic in which Joe Thomas spoke about some of the things that helped him be successful as a player in the NFL, specifically an offensive lineman. And we're going to pick up that part of the conversation on what is great coaching and what it is from a player perspective. And I think what you're going to find here as we talk to both Coach Wiley and Joe Thomas is that this is a partnership that there's responsibilities on both sides of this to take ownership in what's happening and producing a great product on the field. So great coaching is certainly all the things that we hear about from the coaches on this podcast, but I think Joe gives it some perspective on what really works the best, what is most effective in coaching players up, and certainly he's somebody who's known that with everything he's done. Joe has obviously always played the game at a high level, going all the way back to his days at Brookfield Central High School, where he played right tackle, defensive end, tight end, fullback, place kicker, and punter for the Lancers. He was listed among the top 20 offensive tackles nationally, was a second-team All-American offensive guard. He went on to be an All-American at Wisconsin, and of course then was drafted by the Cleveland Browns and played 11 seasons for the Browns and 10,363 consecutive snaps. He's on the ballot now for the Hall of Fame, potentially a first ballot Hall of Fame member. And we're going to have a great conversation here with him and Coach Wiley today. So, Joe, it's great to have you here on the podcast. 
and talk about this idea of what does great coaching look like and hear from Bob and get some perspective on how this really is a partnership between player and coach. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Keith, and uh, thanks for having me on. Joe, we played at the beginning of this clip from the Cool Clinic where you described what it was like to be working with good coaches and guys on the other side of the spectrum. And I wanted to pick up that conversation today and really dig into some other things as far as that idea of what does good coaching look like from the player's perspective. So to start you off with this, did you know if you were being coached well or poorly in a particular area? And I guess if you did, I'm sure you did at some point, when did that transition start? Was it in high school? Was it in college? Was it sometime when you were in the NFL? Well, I think as an uh, athlete, you're taking cues from the person that's teaching you, you know, whether that's a coach in a meeting room or whether that's a teacher in your biology class. And I think you're listening to the how the message is being delivered, right? You want a clear message, uh, you want a correct message, and you want a consistent message. And I think if as a communicator, being the coach or the teacher, they're able to do those three things, the player is going to be able to hear that and feel like he's getting good coaching, right? Because consistency is probably the most important thing from player standpoint, because if I'm hearing one thing from one coach and something else from another coach, now I'm just confused and I'm just going to do whatever I want, which is always the wrong decision. So I think that consistency part is huge. The clarity part is huge. But as you start to grow within your own understanding of the game of football and you're watching the guys that are maybe ahead of you, you're starting to understand like what are the techniques and the schemes that work, especially for me personally, because every player is going to be better or worse at certain skill sets and maybe have different biomechanical factors that are limiting or that are enabling you to do things that maybe are different than what your coach is teaching. But as you're starting to learn yourself and you're starting to learn the game of football, you really do begin to realize, hey, what are the good coaches saying in this situation? Who are the good coaches? And am I being properly coached to my own skill sets? So coach, hearing Joe talk about that, especially I think one of the things that came through and, and what he just said is that every guy is coached a little bit differently. I've heard you speak about this before, and I can't remember if it's been on this podcast or was in, in a clinic that you have to find a way to coach each guy, not just what pushes their triggers, but physically the things that fit best for them, because everybody's built a little bit differently. Your thoughts on that coach? Well, you got to, you watch the player and the player, he has a production level that he's trying to seek. Okay. Did he block his guy? Did he not block his guy? How did he block his guy? It's not all going to look the same. Everybody's going to do something a little bit different than the other guy. So as a coach, it may not be textbook the way you exactly want it, but at the end, it's the production of the player that counts. Did his guy not make the play? Yes. Well, then the techniques he uses and the way he plays best fits him. So I kind of watch those guys play. And, you know, maybe one guy's he takes a little longer step than I would like. Or maybe he, he may cross over a little bit farther, but he's got great ability to recover. You know, maybe he's got one hand higher than the other hand or, you know, whatever the case may be. I'm just kind of in certain things. You'll look at it and say, okay, this guy plays this way, but this guy plays that way. This guy plays the other way. And then again, you know, teaching a player how to learn a new skill, that's going to play into it because they all learn differently. 
they all learn differently and they all play differently. So as a coach, you've got to go around the table, right? And you've got to make up your mind and say, okay, I can live with this. I can't live with this. This one's going to get us beat. Okay, so on and so forth. Uh, that's the way I kind of approach it. Coach, with that, in thinking of young coaches, when sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And, and so I think in a lot of ways, coaching today has, has become a, a copy and paste function, which it can't be, right? Coaching is not copy and paste. Where guys see somebody do it this way, and the tendency is to try to make everybody look the same. At what point did you start to figure out, like you just said, that everybody is a little bit different and you, you learn to live with things? Is that something that was early on or something you learned as you progressed in your career? Something I learned as I progressed in my career. You know, when I first started, I wanted them to be textbook. I wanted to make, I wanted to make them look just like the, you know, the old pro Hall of Fame guys do it. And I, you know, trying to get this out of the player and uh, the kid just can't do it. That doesn't mean he can't play. That just means he can't do it that way. Is there another way for that player to do it? And so through experience and as I progressed, I figured out that, hey, it, it doesn't have to look pretty, okay? All it has to do is be productive. Did his guy make the play? No. Great. Number one thing. Now, you try to make it look as pretty as you can, but some players are not. You know, some guys are just, you know, guys going to be maulers, but they're just going to go out there and they're going to physically just beat you up. And that works. And some guys are going to be kind of finesse kind of guys, but they block their guy. That works. Just because one guy does it one way and the other guy does it the other way. If their defenders don't make the play, that's all that matters. Joe, what's been interesting when you look at your career is you've been the foundation. You've been the mainstay, right? You did experience a lot of coaching changes. And so I'm sure as you became a veteran, there was a relationship developed with you and your offensive line coaches where they were leaning on you a little bit. So how did you develop a partnership with your coach where you took on some of the responsibility for the unit? And do you feel like you were a, a bridging that gap as a veteran player between the other players and the coach? Well, I think one of the most important things that a coach is going to be able to do is kind of build that partnership with his players. And it doesn't really matter what level it is. It doesn't have to be at the NFL level. It can be at the middle school level, being able to build trust and give ownership to your players where they feel like they're just as much involved in how this thing gets done. And they're just as much involved and invested in the results of the process. You're going to get the best out of them. And now what you're going to see is as you're giving ownership, especially first and foremost to those veterans in the room, those captains, whoever those guys are within your meeting room, you give them that ownership you ask them the questions, you put it on them a lot of times to make some of the decisions, whether it be schematic or technical. And now all of a sudden they feel like they have some skin in the game. And that's no matter what business you're in, that's how you're going to get the most out of people is make them feel like they're a part of the process, that their opinion matters, and that what they say and do within that room is going to affect the outcome for everybody. And I think once you get that, you're going to start seeing your older players in your meeting room, they're going to be 
developing and coaching on the side some of the other guys they're going to take ownership for the development of the younger players and making sure that everybody is brought along i think the worst type of room you can have is sort of that dictator type room where you got a coach and he's just telling everybody what to do all the time because then human nature is as an athlete you're just going to sit there and you're going to kind of absorb maybe 85 90 percent of what the coach is telling you but you're not going to really fully understand it because it's not important enough to you because he hasn't given you that ownership and he hasn't built that two-way street of trust between athlete and coach. So coaching, looking at it from your perspective, going into the new situation, you're going to be doing that here with XFL Vegas in January, a different situation there because it's not even that you have veterans you can rely on. It's going to be a different way of building that rapport. But from your standpoint in looking at it, you know, and going into that new situation, how do you think about that, especially with what Joe said there in finding somebody to bridge that gap, finding that guy who really is going to be the mouthpiece for those other guys, you know, the leader as things develop for you? Well, when you first go into the room, you start putting stuff on the table and then you see who's going to take ownership of it. A lot of times, like Joe was saying, I agree with him 100%. Let the players Talk it through. Let the players figure it out. You just kind of guide it. Somebody's going to rise up to take the bit, right? So when when they start rising up, and one kid's going to be a little bit smarter, maybe a little technically in the game, and, and uh, the other guy, one guy, maybe more developed to speak to people. A lot of guys don't like to talk in a room because they don't want to sound like they're not that smart. So you got to pull that out of them. Which one of those guys? Right, the silent guys again, they may know everything really well, but they don't want to say it. You got to go through that barrier, barrier of communication. You know, like I'm going to, to the XFL and I've already recommended a player that I want that I've coached. As a matter of fact, I've recommended two of them that I want that I've coached because they already know my system, they already know the techniques, they already know it. They can be the mouthpieces. They can take them out on the field if I'm not around and say, oh, no, this is the way he wants it done. This is the way we do it. And so, you know, I'd love, you know, Joe and, and you know, he'd be talking to somebody next to him. And I'd stop the meeting early on when I first met Joe. And I'd say, Joe, you know, I don't mind you talking to the other player. And I really don't. I encourage it. I said, but if you're going to do that, I want you to do it loud enough so everybody in the room can hear it. Because somebody is going to get something out of it that they can use that fits their game, not just the young player that's sitting next to you. I know, Coach, when you started with the Browns, you started coaching Joe, you brought in some guys, you know, a guy you talk about all the time on the podcast, Olin Krutz. I know he was there. Uh, Scott Peters came in. And you had these guys who weren't coaches but they had recently played and, and had good careers and knew you too. How helpful was that in the, in the process of getting to know those guys and getting them to where you want to be as a unit? Well, I, I you know every place I've been, you know, I've always brought in Anthony, you know, because Anthony was the key, the key guy, the key, but made, you know, he's in the hall of fame, you know, he had a great career. I don't know, I made him all pro 11 times or some astronomical amount of times. So the players, they may not be able to play like Anthony played, but they're going to listen to Anthony. They're going to listen to his experience. The same thing with Owen. Owen was one of the best or the best center I've ever coached. So I bring Owen in. They know Owen. 
Yeah, he's very well versed in the game. He can read defenses better than quarterbacks can. And so uh, he has a lot to contribute to the room. They're going to listen to Owen when Owen talks. And Scotty Peters, he's a, a former player. He loves the game. He's got a few things that he teaches that are really good on how the body works because the body only works one way. Okay. And, he, and he's really refined it. So he's got ways to contribute that they're going to listen to and see if that stuff fits their game. So they're very helpful. But Anthony was the first guy I, in every camp I've been in, Anthony's come and contributed. And then I got Owen. And then just recently I got Scotty. You know, I mean, if I, you know, I don't know Scotty's coach with the Browns, you know, I may be able to get old and come out to an XFL practice or Anthony. And, you know, that's going to be really helpful when those guys that are trying to keep playing to get another chance in the NFL or try to get to the NFL, they're going to listen. So, Joe, as you look back at the different levels you were at, did you see differences in how that might have changed in developing that type of partnership and developing essentially the the ability to teach some of this too? I, you know, I've had those experiences. The best rooms I was a part of were when players took over some of that responsibility. When an older guy is grabbing a younger guy and taking him under his wing and coaching those things up, and you hear it a lot of times as as you shared it as a coach. So I think, you know, you have it going on then, but as you look back, is it something you feel that as the levels increased, you saw that more and maybe more of a dictatorship at, at the, the younger levels, or do you think that's just uh, dependent on the coach? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenging balance. I think for younger athletes and coaches that are coaching up high school, middle school athletes, cause they just don't know as much, right? If you're an offensive lineman in middle school and high school, you barely know how to put your pads in your pants. You're, you're, you're lucky to be able to get your shoulder pads strapped up by yourself every day. And so the coach feels like he's got so much to teach. It's impossible to empower his, his players to be able to coach each other, but you can do it in small ways. Like it doesn't have to be, Hey, Johnny coach, uh, key protection to little Stevie over there, uh, you know, in the junior high junior varsity team, like that's obviously not going to happen, but you can empower them in different ways to help coach them up. Like maybe on the drills that you're doing at the beginning of practice, because those are a lot of times the same drills you're going to do every day. You're going to have very simple concepts you're trying to accomplish. You're going to teach those players what you're trying to accomplish and, and how you're going to try to accomplish those things. And then now have a chance after running that for a, a couple of weeks to sit back and say, all right, now it's your turn. I want you to coach him up when you're in that meeting room. Hey, let's, just look at those drills that we did at the beginning of practice. I want, you know, uh, our starting left tackle to coach up our third string guy right now. And that may be a 16 year old coaching up a 14 year old, but I want to give him ownership and make him feel like he is just as much a part of me as I am coaching everybody on this team. And, and I think that is such an important thing to do that it doesn't really matter the level you're at. I think getting through to those players, building trust, building that ownership where they feel like in some small way, they're having an effect on building that camaraderie and that understanding of what needs to get done and how we're going to do it from the top of the offensive line room or from the top of the team, all the way down to the lowest last man on the roster. So coach Wiley, that idea of giving them more and more ownership, like Joe talked about getting things to the point where 
you allow maybe them to do a little bit of the teaching and coaching and step up in certain situations. How important is that for a coach really to put something like that into his repertoire of what he's doing? I think it's very important. But what I find is you get a lot of the younger coaches are very insecure. And, and they want to be the boss. They want to be, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I coach you listen. You know, when I first started out, I was kind of like that, right? But I got out of that mode real quickly, right? And I got into what Joe's talking about. Okay, now, like in the drills, you're always going to get players in drills that do it better than other players. And some are going to do it, okay, just the way you want it done. It's going to look like you want it, right? And you're going to say, oh, my God, that guy's, that guy's doing it just the way I like the guy, huh? You know what I mean? And then you kind of gravitate to that kid and say, okay, now I, I need you to demonstrate this to the rest of the guys here. Okay, what's going through your mind? What are you thinking about? You know, what's, what's happening? What's making you do it this way? And, and talk to the other kids about it. And you're going to find, and I'm sure you have people in your, you know, your coaching, right, that guys progress a little faster than other guys do. And those are the kind of guys that are going to take the forefront and demonstrate on how it's done. And so you're going to you're giving them a little more ownership, make them feel like they're the leader in that room because they're coming along quicker. It looks better for whatever reason. Now, that's just a drill. Maybe in a game, he can't do that. He can do it in a drill, but he can't do it in a game. So you got to weigh that pot, too. You know, some guys look good at doing the drills and jumping over the bags. And you get in the game, and they can't block anybody. Then the other guys, they get in the game that may not look as pretty as you like. But they blocked the guy. Now, those guys, their stock may start to rise. As a coach, you're always mixing and matching pieces to get it the way that you would like to get it. But you also need to get those guys blocked that line up and play it. Okay, so who can do that the best? Joe, thinking back to the Cool Clinic, which you were a part of, Dante Skarnick, you spoke uh, about his room and about having that guy who's the, I believe he called it the validator, right? So as you're teaching something, you're always able to look at that guy and see, is this getting through, right? And if it's getting through to him, most likely it's getting through to other people. Have, have you, in the rooms you've been in, been able to tell that maybe some other players weren't getting it? And how would you approach that from a coaching standpoint too, right? Thinking about the coach shares in that responsibility. Uh, I think a mature player might share some of those things that coach, and we're not getting this, but just thoughts on that. Cause again, I think that takes some trust that takes the relationship on both sides to be, to have that kind of honesty, but starting with that idea though, you're in a room and some guys just aren't getting it. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that's really important for coaches is to understand that you don't want to build a room, uh, a meeting room with your group where guys are feeling threatened where they feel like they have to be afraid to make a mistake, be afraid to say the wrong thing. Because what happens then is you get guys that kind of crawl up into their own shell, and then they're afraid to say something when they don't understand what's going on, right? Because they're afraid to be humiliated in front of their peers. They're afraid that if they admit they don't know what is happening in that situation, that all of a sudden the coach is going to look down upon them and he's going to give them a demerit in his own mind and he's going to think he's a dumb player. So building that room where players can feel like it's a it's an open forum to ask questions no matter what they are to raise your hand if you don't understand things and I think that's 
the learning environment that you want to be able to try to create. I thought Bob coach Wiley was one of the best at doing that because he never wanted to humiliate somebody. And he always said, Hey, if you don't understand something, raise your hand immediately, because we're all relying on each other to understand this material. And if we're going too fast, or if I'm saying something that doesn't maybe hit your brain in this way, I want to know so I can try to hit it in a different way, or even say, hey, you know what, we got to keep going because we've only got 15 more minutes of meeting. And I got a lot of stuff to get through. But hey, whoever the captain, whoever the old man in the room, whoever that validator is that seems to understand, would you please put it upon yourself to right after this meeting is over, explain in a different way, however, it hits that other player's brain, this concept that I'm trying to teach him. And you know what, even if you show up five minutes late to practice or whatever that looks like, like that's okay. Because the most important thing is that the players in this room understand what we're trying to get done and that they have a respect for each other and that everybody is on the same page with what is at stake and how we need to be able to teach everybody. And nobody is going to be humiliating each other if they don't understand or they don't learn as fast as the other players in the room. Coach Wally, you've talked about on clinics on this podcast the way you set up the room the environment all those things conducive to teaching but also having that uh, trust built in guys that, that they will communicate like joe just pointed out there again i think especially when you go back to being a young coach and the young coach li coaches listening here it feels like it's something tough to do right especially when you're close in age to those guys you feel like you still need to establish your your position within the team as the leader. You don't want to be a dictator, but I guess your recommendations for being able to create that environment, and especially for that young coach to still be able to have those lines drawn that these guys know, I'm not trying to be your buddy. It's important we listen. Uh, thoughts on that, especially for the young coach? I, I think it's okay to, to, to be friendly. I You know, in, in college and high school, the relationship between the players and coaches are, it seems to be different in, than in pro football. You know, I don't think it should be like that. You know, when I coached in college, you can ask the college guys, the, the rooms were almost basically the same. They could address me, you know, and say, you know, I tell them to call me by my, you know, my call, say, get wild. It's okay for you to do that with me, guys. You can call me Bob. You can call me Coach Wiley. It's, it's okay. I established that kind of relationship with those guys. Remember, and I say this all the time, players don't care how much you know. Players want to know how much you care about them. You're going to approach each player in that room, you're going to approach them differently because they're not all the same. They haven't been raised all the same. You know, how they learn it is going to be different. How they speak is different. How they uh, their personalities are all different. You're, you're kind of like a psychologist sitting in a room trying to make it, take all those bodies, make them have fun, show them that you care about them, create a learning environment that everybody's going to learn. Everybody's going to learn. If you, don't have, if you don't know the question, tell me, hey, coach, I don't know this. Can you help me with this? And, and I'm not going to insult them. I may say something that may be funny, maybe humorous, like, you know what I mean? Don't do that. It looks like a cripple armadillo. And they'll get a little chuckle out of it. But the kid will remember that. He'll remember that particular point in time because of that. So I try to create those rules. I, don't, I think young coaches are sometimes too insecure. I mentioned that earlier in the podcast. You can't be insecure 
and be a good football coach. You can't. You can't be insecure, be a head coach or be an offensive coordinator. If I see that there's something wrong, I am going to say it in an offensive meeting, you know, offensive coaches meeting. You know, you know, they try to reinvent the wheel. And as a coach, if you've done that before, it didn't work. Well, you better say something. You know, you better say, well, wait a minute, guys. Maybe we want to rethink this. Okay. And this is why. And as a coordinator or some of the other guys in the room, you can't be hurt by that. And we say, well, what does he think? Who does he think he is? You can't have that, those feelings. You know, say your piece. And then at the end, if they still want to do it their way, that's, that's their prerogative. That's their, you know, they're the bosses. But if you don't do it and say anything, then you become part of the problem. Now, it doesn't have to be anything negative, right? It just showed them a different way to do things. Maybe it's better than the way they're doing them. And I try to create the room like that for the players. There's different ways to do things. I'm going to show them to you guys. Some of you guys are going to pick them up. Some of you guys are not. You know, so that's how I kind of approach the room. I, I really enjoy working with Joe because we were on the same page. All the time. But to hear Joe talking, it's like I'm, it's like listening to myself. It really is. And he would say that, wow, we would stay after meeting. He just mean Joe would talk. And it was really an, uh, an enlightenment to see how his views and my views were really, they paralleled each other. It was really fun to, to be with Joe, work with Joe. I think both of you really highlighted this, but Joe, we always talk about it being the coach's responsibility to to reach the players like you talked about there. And a big part of that is the learning styles and how different players learn. So what are the strategies to use when you're trying to figure that out? You know, from a player's perspective, what can you do, I guess, to help your coach in that regard if you know, something's not clicking? Mm -hmm. Well, I think generally speaking, the way the method that players are going to learn the best is if you show them some film of what you're trying to accomplish right you're so you're showing them like the finished product what you expect then you're going to explain it to them but also give them an opportunity to write that down to record it into their own notes because i found that by and large most people learn the best when they're forced to write something down even if they never go back and look at those notes just the process of writing it down commits it to memory a lot better than anything else but of course the, the last part of that is getting those players up out of their chairs. And so they're now in an active learning environment and have them walk through, have them do whatever the technique is or the scheme that you're looking to accomplish is. And so now they're doing it at half speed or less than half speed, but they're committing it to memory another way. And I, I think that's really important. And that's one reason why I like a meeting room that's got enough space, you know, and, you know, not everybody has that luxury, but just to be able to pop up right away at a moment's notice, like, hope oh, you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. Hey, Steve, stand up. Hey, Jim, stand up. All right. Now you're the defense, you're the offense. Put your hand here, see what that feels like. And Bob was great at that. Like how many times he would have somebody stand up and walk to the back of the room and he would kind of show where he wanted the hand placement. He would show why it matters, why you're, bone structure is a certain way and why you're stronger with your thumb up maybe in this direction versus your elbow out. And so I, I think that's probably the best process overall. But one thing that you can do that I really like is if you see that somebody's still not getting it with that process is what you can do is you can put it on some of the players that are in that room to teach it now back to everybody else because learning it 
and listening to it and then doing it is one thing, but then teaching it is sort of like the final stage, because if you're able to understand and teach it to somebody like that is the best comprehension and something that you're going to be able to hold with you the longest. So having different players go up to the front of the room and teach it to that other player, maybe just hearing it from a different voice, maybe seeing it from somebody else versus seeing it always from maybe the captain or that or the coach. Sometimes that's all it takes for them to click in their mind. And then all of a sudden it, it, it triggers like a snowball of other events in your brain that now everything starts to make sense. Just like math. There's a lot of things that are built on other concepts. It's the same thing in offensive line play. Like the concepts that we're doing in some of our more detailed protections are built on the stuff that we did in day one. And, and you have to be able to have that first domino for all the other dominoes to fall on your head for the whole concept to be able to make sense. You bring up an interesting point there. And, and years ago, I did this clinic talk on basically, I can't even remember the title of it, but it was on uh, some of the technology that was starting to grow there. One of them was virtual reality and just reimagining how we use the meeting room. And you mentioned there, I think something is important, having that space to be able to get up and do things right within that meeting. Yeah, you could head out the door too, right? You probably have an area that's a little bigger. If you're at the high school, maybe it's the hallway, whatever. I think the important thing is that you change things up like that. And, you know, I've, I've always thought you look at these cool new college facilities and, and everything now is becoming that theater seating, which is good, but that's mm -hmm. kind of hard to get up and yeah. do that on the incline or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you have to find the space. And, and I've, I've always thought like the, you know, the design of the future would include spaces where you could do those mm -hmm. things, do those things. And, you know, the virtual reality too, like, uh, I, I remember being out at a Colts facility and seeing, you know, where Andrew Luck would do, do all of his work with the, the VR. And it was, it was the Go Army Ed stuff. And that sparked me to, you know, I found an old racquetball court and a projector and we would just put it <laughs> up there and do all of our blitz pickup there yes. through instead of yep. just showing it on film. So I think finding those new things too, as the technology progresses, you know, how can you use that to better reach your players? Yeah, I, I think uh, the technology is great. The virtual reality stuff is really good. One of the things that I felt like was my advantage over a lot of other players during my career was the meditation, the mindfulness, the ability to visualize things. That was a big part of my preparation on game day because as I was watching film and I was getting ready for like Jason Taylor and you see the stab move over and over again and he's just constantly beating people. I'm trying to think in my head, like, what do I have to do to counter what he's doing and the ability to, in that meeting room, as I'm watching the film, close my eyes and to be able to envision myself in that film with Jason Taylor about to stab my chest and trying to punch his, his hand or trying to knock it down and being able to visualize how that reaction would happen allows you to come up with a good game plan for the player that you're going to then try to go practice against your scout team guy during the week. And so I think that visualization component is really huge. And then the day before, the night before a game, closing your eyes, just visualizing yourself going through the openers, visualizing yourself hammering the details that you've worked on all week, whatever it is of your technique versus the guy that you're going against. I think those are really good ways to get reps and your brain doesn't know the difference between did I visualize that rep or did I actually go and experience that rep on a Sunday going against an all pro pass rusher. Like your brain has no concept. So it's an easy way to get more reps to become more proficient at exactly what you're trying to do. And Coach Wiley, you know, I think 
in this whole conversation, there's a lot of sitting around and watching things in, in the room and seeing things that are done correctly. But ultimately, as you say, all the Tom coaches, the, the Paul Brown saying, you know, you got to get it from the chalkboard to the grass. So these guys got to feel their technique too. And as Joe mentioned, that procedure of being able to get guys up in the meeting room and do things is uh, an effective way to teach. It, it is. And, when, and Joe's talking about psychocybernetics. Okay, oh, there's like a it. book, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. I think you may you have been have it there, right, Keith? And <laughs> you you visualize what you want to do, and then you go do it, all right? And I used to use that years ago. When my knees allowed me to, to play golf. I would just visualize the golf swing. You know, I'd just lay in bed in the morning. I'd wake, I'd just lay there and relax myself as much as I can relax, feel like the gravity was pushing me into the bed, right? Get that much relaxed and just visualize yourself swinging the club and whatever, what shot you want to hit, okay? And then you'd be amazed when you go out and play. I said, oh my God, that stuff actually works. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was always amazed by Joe in the meeting room and the way he prepared for the game, he had... He had like 352 million five by or three by five cards, and he would write the, <laughs> and he would write on the on the front of the card. I believe Joe the, the defense he was going to see the play against the defense that we were getting ready for, and then in the back of the card, he would write like the adjustments that he may have to make for for that defense. And I thought it was a wonderful way to prepare for the game. I was, you know, I was hoping some of the other younger players in the room would pick that up and say, hey, watch this guy, watch what he does. The other thing I I, can't, I think I told a few a few times is, you know, I'm I'm walking to practice, right? And, and I go through the field house and there's Joe, and he's working on something that he needs to work on in the field house before we go to practice. This guy's a 10-year-old a, a pro and, and he's doing that. I tell the young guys, look, watch, listen. The process that he goes through to get ready to play a game is is one of the best processes. And, and I'll tell you what, all the great ones kind of do the same thing. You know, we had, remember that we had Owen in Camp Joe. Okay, Owen prepared himself, right? He mm-hmm. took notes meticulously. Okay, he was amazing. From the first year I had him until the last year, Anthony Munoz was the same way. You know, it seems like all the good players, all the good or great players, that's what they do. That's what they do. Somehow they figure it out. They figure it out what it takes to play the game at the level they want to play the game at to be the best they can be. And you get a guy like Joe Thomas that plays 10,353 consecutive snaps. That, I believe wholeheartedly, Joe, that that's never, ever, ever mm-hmm to be broken never mm-hmm. right that, that's going to be they should take you and put the statue up in front of that browns building <laughs> <laughs> hey your your words to the haslam's ears uh, your lips to the haslam's ears i love it <laughs> you know, in that regard joe was that something that you developed over time i've, I've heard bob talk about your your process as a player is that something you developed over time? And, you know, when did you start taking notes like that mm-hmm. in that way that would make sense for you? Yeah, it was a process that was always being tweaked. You know, it was, it's never, this is the process and this is what you have to do. It's always being 
tweaked to make sure that it fits me and my brain and that moment and what we're trying to learn that week. But I was really lucky because early on in my career, I had some older guys in the offensive line room that set me down and were mentors to me and, and taught me how to watch film and taught me how to take notes. And then it was a constant trial and error process of how I'm taking notes and how the performance is and, and then evaluating myself on how well I learned the material doing it that way. And then over time, I had different coaches that would come in and, and demand, you know, at times to use note cards. And then I kind of developed the note card process for myself because I thought that it was a really good way for me to one, learn it by just writing it on note cards, but it kind of replicated the process that you get in a huddle, right? Because in a huddle, you're in a huddle and you hear the play, which is like looking at the front of the note card and either seeing the play or seeing the defense or whatever that is. And then you go to the line of scrimmage and now you're getting tested on what you heard in the huddle. Like, do I know the play? Do I know the adjustments? Do I know the, the calls? And that's what's on the back of the note card. And then sort of the next level is, okay, on the, on the front of the note card is maybe the person I'm going against or the play maybe necessarily that I'm going to the line of scrimmage and now I'm on the line of scrimmage and what are the technique things I need to look out for that week? Those are the things that I need to be thinking about as the play is going on and when the ball gets snapped. So it kind of worked in a number of different ways for me, but I felt like it was a great way to learn the material, to quiz myself on the material quickly that replicated what happened in a game or in a practice where I'm hearing the play in the huddle, I go to the line of scrimmage. Now I have to know what's going to happen pre-snap. And now I have to have things on my mind after the ball is snapped to be ready for any scenario where, you know, the defense does something differently or the guy I'm going against is going to go to his, you know, inside swim move that he usually goes to in this situation. But I need that to be at the front of my mind in order to be able to react as quick as I possibly can. He organized his thoughts on the way to the line of scrimmage. That's right. Right. He organized his thoughts on the way to not when he got there. Okay. Because when you, you try yeah. to do it when you get there, it's too late. Okay. The ball's coming up. Right. So he had a process. And you know, what he did is, you know, uh, for example, he, he probably said it to himself. He says, okay, they call a play. Okay. What do I have to do? What's my assignment? First thing he's thinking about. All right. Then the second thing he's going to the line of scrimmage is what can the defense do to me in the configuration that they line up in? And then the third thing, how am I going to get the job done? How am I going to do this? What's going to, you know, when the ball time, how am I going to get this job done? You know, what's the line? What foot am I going to step with? Rick? I always thought it was really good one time watching film. I don't even know if Joe knows this, right? And, and uh, uh, the head coach is going, why isn't he, why isn't he looking at the guy he's going to park? And Joe is trying to find the safeties. Joe is out there <laughs> trying to find, he's got a safety in the middle of the field and he's got a safety on the right-hand side. Well, pretty good chance that that defensive end coach he ain't coming inside okay he's probably going to stay outside good chance of that right i said don't you think that's good information for the left tackle to know right so joe joe does stuff like that that's that's really what you're supposed to do if you yeah. want to do it the right way that's what you're supposed to do Right. As we're getting close to wrapping up here, uh, Joe, one question I really am interested in hearing from, from the player perspective, a guy who's played at the level that you have. I always talk to coaches, especially offensive line coaches, about their evaluation methods and how they grade film and what they share with players. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of different methods from the plus minus and here's your percentage grade and all those things. So truthfully, what's 
the stuff that makes, especially a guy like you who uses that information and data, what's the stuff that really is going to help you become a better player as we go through, whether it's practice or game film and grade you and give you that feedback. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think I would say this, I think you show up and you give a kid a, a, a card on a Saturday and say you were 87%. He's lost. Like, I don't know what that means, but mm -hmm. you know, with that kind of data and systems, what's worked best for you. Mm -hmm. I think the system that I thought was the best was one, any system that's consistent. Cause then you can kind of grade yourself from week to week and you know, Hey, I, I played better last week and not as well this week. And then you can think back, okay, how did I prepare last week? And, and how did that lead me to having a great game? Whereas this week I didn't play as well. And why was that? Like you, then you can kind of dig into the why and figure out maybe why you played better, why you didn't play as well. And then you can tweak your process, which is important. Like I mentioned before, like the process should always be being tweaked. It's never a finished product. And so I, I enjoyed the like check or minus, like you either did your job or you didn't, because as an offensive lineman, that's kind of what it comes down to. Of course, then you need to have a comment spot, like, because that's where you're getting the learning done. The, 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 the one or zero, like the binary, you either did your job or you didn't is great. Um, because then it kind of gives you an overall percentage from week to week. So you can kind of track your own performance. And obviously that's going to change a little bit based on the opponent that you're going against. If you're going against Terrell Suggs and you grade out at 90% versus going against like the third stringer, who's only playing because there's a bunch of injuries and he just got signed off practice squad and you grade out at 95%. There's, you know, a weighted scale there a little bit, but still having some type of percentage is not a bad way to look overall how you've been performing from week to week but the most important thing is like that comment section right it's hey even if it's 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 a plus or a check or a one or a zero or whatever it looks like there should be a comment in there about like hey you did this well or hey we could do this better or your eyes should have been here or whatever that looks like because that's where the growth happens and that's what we're all striving for it's constantly that growth mindset just getting a little bit better every single day the the famous saying about football is it's a a game of a million little things. Well, that's no more true than on the offensive line, because literally the offensive line is a million unnatural things that you have to put together to become a great offensive lineman. Nobody as a three-year-old is backing up and pass setting. Nobody is duck walking and gorilla driving people off the ball. Like these are unnatural things that you have to learn over time. Whereas if you're a quarterback, you've been throwing things since you were two years old. Like you picked up your blankie when you were a kid and you threw it at your mom when she told you to go to bed. Like throwing is a natural motion, running forward, tackling kids, wrestling. My son's six. He loves to tackle and wrestle all of his buddies. So the stuff that they do on defense, it's very natural. It's normal for them. They're not learning as many things as we on the offensive line basically have to learn every single skill set that we have. So just getting a little bit better and stacking little things, constantly improving is how you become a great offensive lineman. You know, when you go go back to the grading system, Joe, the, the, when I graded you guys out, I always thought I'd give you a one grade and I gave you a patch grade and I gave you a total grade. Because I had to find out as a coach, hey, I need to work more with him in the run game. I need more to work with him in the pass game. The total grade in the coach's eyes wasn't that important. It was how you were doing in the run game and how you were doing in the pass game. Total grade, that was for those guys on the other side of the building. When I worked for him, you know, when I did it, you know, that's what, in my little brain, that's, that's the way I was looking at it. Coach and Joe, some great insight here today. 
on this player-coach relationship, on what good coaching looks like. And we can see from this conversation that it is a two-way street, that both sides need to take ownership in that. But when you do, it really becomes magic, and it's a lot of fun to be a coach and to be a player when things work like this. And uh, Joe, again, thank you for taking the time. I know Bob appreciated you being here as well. It's just great to see you. Bob, it's good to see you. I'll see you next August. Is it August? Uh, I think it'd probably be in July. Usually oh, it's, it's, the, July, it's July. that, yeah, yeah mid-July. Oh, right, that's right, in July. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, oh. thanks, guys. All right. Take care, Bob. Thanks, Keith. All right, Joe. Good seeing you, pal. Be sure to check out coachingcoordinator.com for links to all the episodes of the Mushroom Society series here on the Coaching Coordinator podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski and follow the Mushroom Society of the Cool Clinic at, at the Cool Clinic on Twitter. Thank you.